was uh, when was the last time that you wept for someone who didn't know Christ? When was the last time that you realized that you had the remedy, you had the power, you had the strength, you had everything you needed to bring life to someone? And unfortunately, we've all had those times, haven't we, where we missed that opportunity where something got in the way, something prevented us from speaking about Jesus. Maybe it was the fear that they wouldn't receive it well, or maybe it was just not knowing what to say, or how would you answer an objection. But something was spinning in your heart at that moment. Maybe you looked at it and said, you know, I have another opportunity. I have another time. For me, I, I went to junior high school with a guy named John Shepard. And John was a good friend. We went to high school together, and at college, we went our own ways and kind of lost track of one another, even though we both lived in the same town. So at Christmas or Thanksgiving or summer, we'd be back in that town, but somehow friendships just kind of came and gone, and, and new friends came into play. And so I lost track of John. And one day, I got a call from my mother just before Thanksgiving saying, have you heard about John? And I said, no, what's going on with John? Well, his mother called me, and John has cancer and is in a very serious situation. She said, you should see him when you come home. And I didn't know, and I do not know to this day, really the condition of his heart, of his soul. And I thought, yes, I should. I, I, he was a good friend. I need to go see John. I came home for Thanksgiving, four days, maybe five days at the most I had. Plenty of time to do all that I needed to do and see John. But somehow life just got fast for me. I connected with friends. We got busy doing this, doing that. And I lost. I never seized that moment. I never took advantage of that moment with John. would be really a thing that would weigh heavily on my heart from that moment even till today. I went back to school, not a, really a thought in my mind about missing the opportunity until I received a phone call just before Christmas break from my mother again saying that John's mother had called and John had passed away. And I always tell that story with the same kind of kind of passion and, and sorrow because I could have taken that step. Now, maybe John knew the Lord. Maybe John was fine, but I was the one that needed to look himself in the mirror. I was the one that needed to think about what really was going on. You see, when we think about salvation, it is a free gift from God, is it not? It's not something that you earn or I earn. It's not something that we deserve it's not something we can buy. It's not something that we get because we go to church or we get baptized or we do certain rituals in our life. It's something that is freely given. Salvation is a free gift of God. But also we know that the offer of life is given to all. Everyone has that offer, and we kind of assume everyone's heard that message. I can tell you that, that more than once I've spoken to people right here in this geographical area who did not know that the Easter experience had anything to do with Christ. They had never heard of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It seems impossible when I say it. How can they miss it? It's on television, it's on radio, it's in print, it's all around us. There's churches on every corner. And yet people wander aimlessly, much like we saw some of the actors on that ship, just kind of ignoring the obvious, ignoring what's really going on. The thing we know about this book, and I didn't know it growing up, it was only later that I would discover it, is that salvation is not given unless we ask. So you must personally receive Jesus Christ into your life. That's how salvation occurs. It doesn't happen any other way. It happens because I come to realize that sin has its consequences, its separation from God. Jesus Christ died on the cross to give me and give you the gift of eternal life. Now, I want you to take all of those thoughts. I want you to take the, the movie image in your mind right now, and I want you to fast forward up to the future. And the future is the world has now gone into a cataclysmic tailspin. It is now what the Bible refers to as the tribulation period. And that tribulation period on earth is being overseen by someone that is identified in Scripture as the Antichrist, also known as the beast. And the world is, it seems to be a better place because Christians are now gone. There's an absence of that standard and an absence of that message. And there is a man of peace that has been now instituted in the world of politics. And he has brought peace to the Middle East. Finally, someone who could do that. He has somehow brought people together. He has somehow not only brought people together, he has brought the economy together. The economy now thrives in a one-world currency. The, th the economy is now booming on every hand. There's peace on every hand. There's a promise of a better day. And one would always expect that, can it be this good? And those who did not love God, did not appreciate Jesus Christ, um, now they're happy because Christians have now been taken out. They have met the Lord in the air. They have been raptured, and they are no longer an issue. Well, in the middle of that, there rises up, raises up, uh, God raises up two witnesses that are identified in Scripture. These are men that are preaching the Word of God in the middle of the Great Tribulation period. And we're going to look at those two individuals today from the book of Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Zechariah chapter 4, and here's what the Bible says. It asks this question, what are these two olive trees? Now we know that the olive tree is identified with the nation of Israel. And this vision that we see here in the, in the book of Zechariah asks this question, what are these two trees? At the right of the lampstand and on its left. The lampstand, of course, would be that seven-candled menorah that we've come to understand. It was the lampstand that was in the, the temple of God. It was there. It was lit continually with olive oil. Seven candles, seven tubes that fed each one of those candles with olive oil. There was a container at the top that had oil, and, and it, was, it was there that, that it would draw its life from the source, just like you and I draw our life from the source. And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Now, you're left a little bit 
kind of uninformed about what's going on because this is not something we see every day. But remember, the Jews would understand this. There's oil that is pouring in. There's life. And the oil is always a symbol or an emblem of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So this oil is feeding these lights. And then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he said. Now notice this. This is very interesting and a very big piece of the mystery of God. It says, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Who are these mysterious people, individuals, spiritual beings? Who are they? We don't know, but they're called the anointed ones. That is, they're set apart for God. They stand beside the Lord. They're on the right, and they're on the left of the Lord, it says. Now, as we move through this, we're going to ask ourselves, who are these olive trees? I think the first answer is we don't know for certain. But I want you to take your mind down a journey right now, and I want you to think about this because there's an interesting thing that happens in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17. So Jesus has three of the disciples that are a part of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, they're going along life, and all of a sudden Jesus says, you come with me, we're going to the Mount Uh, of transfiguration. They go up there, and all of a sudden, they see Jesus transform before their very eyes, and two individuals show up on the mountain, Moses and Elijah. They're so overwhelmed. Peter's so overwhelmed by this. He says, Lord, we need to build some tabernacles here. We need to set up shop here. This is a great place to be. Don't you want us to build a place so we can stay here forever? And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. What he was telling them was, this is a picture of the second coming of Christ. And somehow Moses and Elijah were tied into that picture. Now let's go just a little bit further. Let's go to uh, the book of Matthew again, chapter 20 and verse 21. And it says here that the mother of James and John, they came to Jesus, she came to Jesus, and she said, Lord, would you grant these two sons of mine that one may sit on your right and the other sit on your left in the kingdom? Jesus said, you know, you've asked a hard thing. I can't, those seats will be given, but they're not mine to give. So what we learn is that God is going to place individuals on the right and on the left in the coming kingdom. We don't know from Matthew who they are, but we do know from Matthew chapter 17 that Moses and Elijah showed up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. We also know, interestingly enough, that in Zechariah chapter 4, what we find here is we find that there are two lampstands, and they stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Now let's go to our text for today, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3, and here's what it says. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands before the God of the earth. So what do we find? In Revelation, we find a reference, an almost exact reference, back to the book of Zechariah. So you you see how Scripture ties together. You've got Zechariah, you've got the book of Revelation. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So the scene is this. Two unwelcome visitors show up on planet earth. 
during the middle of the great tribulation, and what are they doing? They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're announcing that the only way of salvation is the, is the kingdom of God. They're hated by planet earth, but yet they're protected. You know, there's scriptures that talk about Jesus where they tried to take him, they tried to arrest him, but somehow he slipped through their midst. Somehow they were never able, and then the scripture points out it was because it was not his time. God had arranged a timetable for Jesus, just like God has a timetable for you. You see, God is not absent from your life. He's very much involved in your life. God is interacting with your life. And sometimes we just think we're in control of our life and everything comes down to our decisions. But remember, God is sovereign and all-powerful and God is moving situations into your, into your way. God is bringing people into your life because he's wanting to, to take you on a journey of the kingdom. He's wanting to direct your path in such a way that you understand that he is God and you understand how to access the kingdom of God and thereby take that power that God is giving you and that authority that God is giving you and using it to change the lives of people all around you. So that when people encounter you, what are they encountering? They're encountering Jesus Christ in you. When they hear the message of Christ, they're hearing it from you. That was God's plan. God's commission and God's mission to you and I is that we might be turned loose on planet earth to pick up where every disciple before us has left off, to take the clear message of Christ and present it to people everywhere. And sometimes we're hesitant. We're, we're like the guys on the ship and we're saying, well, you know, what if they don't want to hear the message? Then keep speaking the message. What if I'm rejected? Speak the message. What, what if I don't know what to say? Tell them everything you know, apologize for what you don't, and promise an answer on the next visit. Because you keep speaking Jesus to people, and you'd be surprised how people start to understand. Because remember, what we do in life is we build up barriers, don't we? we got all kind of barriers that protect us. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you prejudge someone on that first impression? Anybody ever had that experience and you kind of thought, you know, I don't think they're very nice people or I don't really like them or they're really into themselves and all of that. And it just turned out in the end you were wrong and they were just shy. And you found yourself judging someone. And sometimes what we do is we let the enemy build up barriers in us and we say, well, I don't think they really want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, what I found is when I open my mouth and start talking about Jesus, he takes care of the rest. I can't tell you countless times I find myself, you know, in a coffee shop. I find myself out in, in the world someplace. People come up and they say, hey, do you know where such and such is? And I'll say, uh, I was at Target the other day, and they said, do you know where such and such is? And I said, uh, no, I really don't. And then they kept on, and I thought, you know, I feel like I'm getting an opportunity here to talk about Jesus. You know, they want to know where something was. And I just say, you know, you find little bridges into people's lives, and you start saying, well, let me tell you about what I'm all about. Let me tell you what's important to me. Let me tell you what's significant to me. We had school of ministry go on uh, uh, last week. And as I said, we had, you know, well over a hundred people there in our class. And the amazing thing happened was on the break, one of the people that showed up discovered in that class that they were not a believer. They showed up to tell people about Jesus, discovered they didn't know Jesus, and they were led to faith in Jesus Christ at the class itself just last Tuesday. Isn't that great? 
Because you see, you can hear about Jesus, but until you know Jesus, it doesn't make any difference. And a lot of people know about him. I was talking to a couple of uh, uh, teenagers here in our church, and I said, uh, uh, hey, do you have, what's going on with your girlfriend? Oh, you know, we, don't, we broke up and all of that. And I said, you know, I got the perfect girl for you. They said, you do? I said, perfect girl. Well, what's she look like? I said, I told her, oh, yeah, sounds good. How old is she? I told him, yeah. And uh, I said, would you like to meet her? Oh, yeah, I'd like to meet her. I, I mean, she sounds great. And I said, you know, I am so convinced that you are 100% compatible. What I want you to do is I want you to show up here at church on Sunday. I'm going to have her show up. I'm going to have a marriage license, and I'm going to perform a wedding. Well, he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, what? I said, yeah, I'm going to perform a wedding. You're going to be here. She's going to be here. You already said she thought it was great. I'll talk to her. I'm sure she'll like you too. We'll do a wedding. And, and he said, well, I'm not doing that. And I said, why not? He said, well, because I don't know her. I said, but you know all about her. Why do you need to know her if you know all about her? People are content to know all about Jesus and not know Jesus. People are content to know about him and never to intimately enter into a relationship whereby they make a conscious decision to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and he has saved me. There has to be a moment of transformation in your life in order to know Christ. When these two witnesses come on planet earth, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Things are just beginning to to break apart on planet earth at this particular place in the book of Revelation. By the time you hit chapter 13 of Revelation, it is full-blown. The Antichrist is revealed and everything is clear. Now nobody can buy or sell without the mark of the beast. So these are the forerunners to that moment. They're preaching. And notice what it says. It says, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their, devours their enemies. Now, we assume that this is apocalyptic language. That is, is there literal fire? Don't know. But what we assume is that somehow this powerful message, Jeremiah talked about the fire that was inside of him, and that message was burning up Israel when he preached. It says, if anyone wants to, wants to harm them, they must be killed in this manner. These have the power to shut up heaven. Now, all of a sudden, we instantly have a clue to who are these two witnesses in Revelation. Because the one who shut up the heaven, that it would not rain, was the prophet Elijah. And so what happened was ungodliness was in the land at the day, and Elijah the prophet said, until you get it right, it's not going to rain. What's interesting, it didn't rain for three and a half years. It's also interesting in this scripture, notice what it says that the power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. We know from the scripture they prophesied three and a half years. They're three and a half years into this. And they have the power, here's a second clue, the power over waters to turn them into blood. We also know someone who turned water into blood. His name was Moses. So we have a very good indication here that the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah, they were the two that were at, remember, the Mount of Transfiguration. They also both had a mysterious disappearance from planet Earth. If you go back to Moses, remember, he led the people of Israel down through the, through the wilderness for those 40 years. And God told him uh, on one occasion to take the rod and strike the rock and water would come out of the rock. 
Later, he would tell him, no, you go over, don't strike it anymore. Now speak to the rock and water will come out. And Moses didn't listen to God. And he struck the rock a second time. And because of that disobedience, God did not allow him to go into the promised land. Do you know that there's some things that when you stop short of obedience, God doesn't allow you to move forward? God stops. It's not about his grace or his love. God says, you can only go this far unless you obey me. When you start obeying me, I will take you on the next step of the journey. But disobedience is going to keep you from what God wants you to be at. So it's not about God's love. It's not about whether you go to heaven. It's not about salvation at all. It's about where do you want to be with God in the days ahead? How do you want to see God working in your life, in your family's life, in your future? God says, I can take you down that road, but you're going to have to take some steps. So he said to Moses, Moses, no further. Moses died, and it says in Scripture, he was buried on Mount Nebo in a, by the Lord in a place that no one knows. So no one can go back and find the tomb of Moses. No one can go back and see where he was. God did that. He died in a mysterious way. 2 Kings chapter uh, 1 and 2 begin to tell us something about Elijah and his mysterious death. He's got a, his sidekick is a guy named Elisha. And Elisha keeps following him, following him, following him. He says, hey, master, master, I want to ask you something. What do you want, Elisha? He says, when you're gone, I want a double portion of your spirit in my life. He said, you know, you've asked a hard thing, Elisha, but if you see me when I'm gone, if you see me depart, so apparently Elijah knew how he was going, when you, if you see me when I, when I depart, he said it will be given unto you. All of a sudden, Elisha's walking along. Elijah's taken up, the Bible says, in a chariot into heaven, a chariot of fire. He looks and he says, look, my, my father, the chariot of God and his horsemen. And Elijah's gone. Elisha picks up the mantle and does the works of God in double portion of the Spirit. But the interesting thing is both Moses and Elijah have a mysterious disappearance from planet Earth. Here we see him again now in the book of Revelation. It says they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. Remember Moses? Moses was so typical of you and I. Here's Moses, he's in the land of Egypt. Everything is a, is a mystery and a miracle about his life. And all of a sudden, he sees an Egyptian and an Israelite fighting. And he goes over and he tries to break them up. And they said, who made you master over us? And so he kills the Egyptian. News spreads, and now what does Moses do? He has to leave town. He is now a wanted man. He goes into the wilderness. For 40 years, he wanders in the wilderness. All of a sudden, he comes across a bush, a burning bush, and he stops, and he notices the bush is burning but not consumed. And then the bush starts to speak. Now, that's an unusual occurrence all by itself. And all of a sudden, he realizes that God is doing something. He says, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh that we're leaving, and you're going to let us go. And he says something to God. This is kind of, well, who shall I say sent me? He wanted some authority. He couldn't say, well, you know what, uh, I've been sent by a, by a plant. I mean, a plant sent me. He had to say, no, I need to know who sent me. He said, just tell him I am. I am everything you ever need, Moses. I am the great I am. I am God, a very God, and I am in control of this situation. Just tell him I am. 
He goes into Pharaoh. He marches into the court. He basically says, let my people go. He says no and begins a series of plagues on the land of Egypt. Remember that? And plague after plague after plague after plague. And each time it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then finally God even hardened his heart for him. He hardened his heart. He saw the miracles of God but rejected them. He saw what God was doing and said, not for me. It's like us today when we see what God is doing and we disobey. When we see what God is doing, we don't move forward with God. But God is giving you those little glimpses, those miracles, those moments of favor in your life so that you can move forward in confidence knowing that he is God, a very God. So he finally gets to the place where it's the last plague. And he says, what am I going to do? It's going to be the death of the firstborn. Already the waters turned into blood, as Scripture tells us here. And he says, what am I going to do? And he says, the death of the firstborn. All of a sudden, all of the firstborn of the land have died. Pharaoh's son dies. He says, get out of here. Get out of here. Go. Go. And God begins that journey. And so it says here, of the, they have the power to turn uh, the waters into blood, to strike the earth with all the plagues, as often as they desire. And when they had finished their testimony, the beast. So there's a time frame here. Now the beast, which is the Antichrist, that ascends up out of the bottomless pit, will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So it's called Sodom because that was, that was just moral, uh, no restraint on morality in Sodom. It's called Egypt because Egypt was following after the things of the world instead of following after the things of God. And so spiritually, Jerusalem is called here Sodom and Egypt. You know, as you, as you think about how easy it is to allow the world to kind of shape you. Have you had that experience? How easy it is to get the world in you and to get life in you from outside sources instead of the life within you and allowing God to work in your life in a great way. I was talking with uh, somebody in our church this, uh, just yesterday, actually, and they were so heavy laden about the situation with their family and a, and a family member who's sick. And, I, and all I heard was worry and worry and discouragement and defeat. And I said, can I just stop you a minute and say back to you what you just said to me? And I began to repeat it back. I said, how does that sound? They said, it sounds like I don't have any hope. It sounds like I don't have any movement of God in my life. All right, well, let's stop and let's redirect our thoughts. God, you're a great God. You're a healer God. God, you're a marvelous God. God, I trust in you. And all of a sudden, you could hear the tone in that person's voice change. All of a sudden, there was a transformation by the Spirit of God taking place in their life at that very moment. But it says here that we can, we can get, the world can pull us in either by, by changing our moral outlook or it can change us by just the attractiveness of the world. Then those of the peoples, tribes, and tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies. Now stop and think about it. First time in history that we've been able to really see worldwide what's happening around the globe. And all of a sudden, they realize these two witnesses that have been preaching this gospel of the kingdom are now dead. And they lie in the streets of Jerusalem three and a half days. And, not, and they will not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them to make merry and send gifts to one another. It's a perversion of Christmas. 
So a number of years ago, I was, uh, I was looking at Christmas cards. Just, you know, you go in there and you get a last-minute Christmas card, and I noticed one that looked like it had a scripture on it. And it was this verse right here on verse 10. Clearly, the person doing the card had no concept of where the verse came from. And on the card, it said, And those who dwell on the, on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Can you imagine a time... Can you imagine a time when people are so uninformed about what Christmas is, uninformed about the Word of God, where Scripture becomes the avenue that talks about a crisis in the kingdom for these two witnesses, and that becomes the way that we greet people. But yet, isn't that what's happening? Isn't that our world today? a changing world where, where values have changed and where people don't understand what Christmas. How about this one? I love this. Um, why are Christians always trying to get involved in Christmas? I had a clerk tell me that last year. Well, why, why, are you, why do you think it all has to be about Christians and about Christ? And I said, well, let's look at that word Christmas. Let's just take M-A-S off for a moment. What do you see? Wow, I've never seen that before. Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about anything else. And I think what, you know, what we want to do is we want to stand strong in the middle of that. I, I love the fact we have a, we're going to be doing the, the Christmas tree lighting again for uh, Anaheim, uh, and we're going to have a big tree out front. And it's so fantastic, really, when, when you think about it. We, we are right next door to a government building. They lease space from us, the post office. And so they're going to drive up, and they're going to see this giant Christmas tree. They're going to see this manger scene. They're going to see this message of God here. And God has just given us an avenue and an opportunity here to allow people to be exposed to the kingdom. We're going to start, start our toy drive soon for the Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim. Last year, uh, I think we told you we gathered over 2,000 toys, and we began to pull in people around here in businesses to help us at this process. And there's something in us that wants to give. And so as we start to give, we start to influence people for the kingdom. Well, when you look at this, it says that they were giving too. They said, we're so glad that these two witnesses are gone that they began to sell, uh, send gifts to people everywhere. They began to send gifts because, look what it says, these two prophets tormented those on the earth. That word tormented means to be tested or questioned. Can you imagine that people without Christ actually look at the message of Christ as torment? And yet they do, don't they? The message is like torment to a person. But I think that love always wins out. When you allow love to move in your life powerfully, when you allow love to really be the first and prominent place in your life, it breaks down a million barriers. When people want to argue with you and, and you're in situations that are tense and, and you don't know what to do, if you'll just pause and say, you know what, you're right. You know, the love of God is so much better than all of this. And when you do that, it changes their heart. It moves their spirit because you can't resist love. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. I believe God is looking for witnesses. You know the Greek word for witness is the word martyr? Someone who stands for their faith, 
even if it costs them something, even if it hurts, even if they have to pay a price. God is, want us to understand that supernatural power is essential in what we do. I can't move forward without God. I can't, I can't operate and do the things of God without His power. I'm weak without that. I want to give up. I want to turn and walk away unless God's power shows up. And I believe that, that when we come to God and we say, God, would you just allow the love of God to flow through me? Would you give me the power, God, to speak the message, even if I don't know all the answers? Even if I don't, don't know what to say? Because, God, I, I want to be cognizant of the fact that people are on that, that ship like we watched. And everything is fine. Everything seems to be moving okay. There's a little storm and a little wind, a little shaking, but, but everything is okay. Supernatural power is essential. If you want to understand more about how to share your faith, we encourage you to be a part of our school of ministry and, and, and be engaged in what it means to really share your faith and talk to people about Christ. We also want to live in a world where miracles become norm. I told our school of ministry, what I'm looking forward to is the day when someone's healed of cancer and it becomes commonplace. That God is doing so many things that we go, oh yeah, that's what happens here. We've seen so many people uh, really healed and so many miracles take place that we, want to, we just want to open that door up and let God begin to work in all of our lives. You know, when we, we, we have this little bottle of olive oil here. I had them place it on the table, and, and the olive, olive oil comes from the crushing of the olive. Something is, is broken down, and, and, and that first squeeze produces what's called extra virgin olive oil. And you know, you don't, you don't appreciate the olive oil without that crushing first taking place. And in all of our lives, there's a crushing that goes on throughout our lifetime, does it not? disappointments and hurt and pain and difficulty and challenges. They meet us on every hand. But remember, it was, it was that crushing that produced that sweet olive oil. And it brings that power in our life. When that olive is crushed a second time, it, it brings about then medicine to our soul. The second squeeze of that olive brings about what was used in medicine. And then the third squeeze brings about Soap and cleansing. If you've ever had have olive oil infused soap, it is from the third squeeze. And all of that is a picture. All of that is a picture of what Jesus did at Gethsemane. You know, Gethsemane means the oil press. Jesus went in there and he prayed for you and me. And he was pressed. He was crushed. And there are things right now in your life that are crushing you. Things right now in your life that are difficult for you. But you know what? Don't waste the oil. Let God's oil, let God have his place in you. Let the anointing of God come on you to bring about healing, to bring about life, to bring about a restoration in your heart and in your soul. Over the years, we have anointed many people with oil. One of my first experiences was with that, I really didn't know what I was doing, and I anointed a man with cancer with oil, and he called me a week later from the hospital and said, you're not going to believe this, but I'm completely cancer-free. And he thought it had something to do with me, and I said, no, it has nothing to do with me. 
You see that oil that was on your head when you looked in the mirror and you saw that shininess in your, on, from that, that reflection of that oil in your head. It was a reminder of you that it was all about God. It wasn't about the doctors, though they are helpful. But it was about God's hand reaching down and touching you. And some of you have got a spirit of fear in your heart. And God wants to break that down. Some of you have been discouraged or defeated or you're, you're trying to find hope or purpose in your life. And that needs to be healed. That needs to be taken to Jesus and let God take control of it. I had a moment in my life where someone, every time I heard their name, it just brought a reaction. I could almost feel my body getting warm. I could almost feel the adrenaline pumping. My mind was focused on them and not on God. And I would let anger rise up, and it was maybe in my mind, at least it was justified. And I thought, God, I can't let this happen. I have to let this go. I have to release the things that are holding me back. I can't hold on to the hurt and the pain and, and really enjoy life the way that you want me to enjoy it, God. I have to be broken down. And you see, the grinding that God does is only so he can make you better, only so he can make you pure. Today I'm going to have you do two things. I'm going to have you stand with me here in a moment. I'm going to have you just repeat after me something I wrote about the anointing. And then secondly, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to come here to the front and pray. Members of our prayer team will be here to pray. And if, if you have something that, that you need to be healed from or you'd like to be anointed with oil, we have people here today who can do that. In our first service, we had, uh, we had just uh, really dozens upon dozens of people who just came people who found Christ in our first service. God touched their life. But let's stand together. I want you to repeat this with me today. In Jesus' name. We're going to say this together. That's kind of the way this works. In Jesus' name. Let me try it again. In Jesus' name. I receive the anointing. That comes from the hand of God. His anointing breaks the bondage of sin and sets the captive free. His anointing heals the brokenhearted. His anointing releases forgiveness and life. His anointing releases forgiveness and life. His anointing releases forgiveness and life. Yes, I said it three times because I wanted you to know. His anointing brings heaven to earth. His anointing is for supernatural power. The enemy is powerless. Against God's anointing. As a child, I am anointed with His Spirit and I walk in His power, His authority, and His freedom. Amen. Let's bow our heads right now as we just allow God to work. Father, I pray that the anointing that comes from Your Spirit, God, I pray that the that the things that need to be broken down, God, and, and, and as we see the boldness of these two witnesses, God, may we be bold. May we be bold just to come before you, God, 
and know that it's from you that we find life, it's from you that we find hope, it's from you, God, that we find encouragement. And God, I believe there's some people here today that are a bit discouraged, a bit brokenhearted. Maybe you're living in a spirit of fear and discouragement. And you've tried everything you know to get free. You've prayed. Maybe you've memorized scripture. You've talked to your friends. You've done what you know to do. And it still is there. It just grinds away at you. And it just eats you alive at moments when you don't expect it. I'm going to ask you right now just to release it to God. Would you just give that to Him? God, I want to give you the spirit of fear that is controlling me. God, I want, to, I want to just give you this spirit of discouragement. God, the good news is called that for a reason. It's good news. And I ask you, Spirit of God, right now, to bring just a wave of good news to my heart. Bring a wave of good news to my spirit. Minister to me right now. If you'd like to come to the front and, and just pray, would you come right now? Just make your way to the front and maybe you just need someone to pray for you. Maybe you just need to stand by yourself and pray. But would you come and just allow God to minister to you, minister grace to you. If you'd like someone to pray with you, would you just maybe slip your hand up and one of our prayer team members will come and be right there with you. Just come right now. You know, there's something, it's almost an act of faith when you just step out. You say, Pastor, is it necessary for me to come forward to pray? No, it's not. But it does something for you. It, it seals a decision and a dependence on God. Just put your hand up and a prayer member will come to you and, and love on you. Just allow God to minister to you. What is it you have to give up? Maybe you don't feel forgiven. I want you to know that Jesus forgives all our sin. Would you just minister grace upon grace to one another right now? Let God do what God does best. Love on you. Care for you. Just slip out from where you are. Just take that step. You take the first step, God will take the rest. It's amazing what God can do when we allow him to do what he does best. He is a healer God. Just allow God to minister, would you? Transformation comes from the hand of God. There is nothing you face today that you face alone. You face it with Jesus. You face it in his power and his authority. going to play just a moment longer. Would you just slip out and let someone love on you? Sometimes you just need someone to help you lift, carry the weight with you. Just take that load. God, take this load from me, would you? Holy Spirit of God, would you just today just minister in a powerful way, in a unique way? We break that spirit of bondage right now, Jesus. We break that spirit of fear right now, Jesus. We break, we break down that spirit of anger 
that controls hearts. That desire for revenge, we break it down in Jesus' name. We break it down in Jesus' name. Jesus said, come unto me when you are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your soul, rest for your mind, your will, your emotions, just all that lifted, all that taken off. If your need is for salvation, reach out and let Jesus save you. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be saved. That's the promise of God. You will be. Not might be, but you will be. Let Jesus just save you right now. Let Jesus minister to you His grace, His power, His love. Father, we give you praise. We just ask your favor to come mightily upon everyone in this room. Whether they're here at the front, whether they're standing, whether in another location watching from live stream, may you minister powerfully to everyone. God, you're laying foundations for us of how we deal with issues in our life. We just give them to you. We release them. We release them. As the, these prayer team members just finish up up here, I just want to bless everyone here in this room. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you right now. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he anoint you with a spirit of hope and love and power. May the goodness of the Lord follow you all the days of your life. May your cup overflow and may anoint your head with oil. May you always be reminded of his grace, always reminded of his love, always reminded that he is the great God, the great king of the universe who cares about you. Even if you are the only person on earth, he knows your name and he loves you. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the ministry that you've given us. Thank you for the love that we have for one another and for you. Bless in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.